This week on Blue 58, does Aaron Rodgers want the Packers to go all in on a new contract extension? Familiar faces on defense may be returning and departing and we break down the final four games of the Packers' regular season. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile, and I am joined on this fine podcast by none other than co-host Gary Zillaby. Gary, how are you doing? It's a great day to be great, John. It is a great day to be great, and we have a great show ahead, jam-packed with all sorts of great stuff. So let's dive right in in the headlines. You may notice that this podcast is coming to you a day later than it typically does, and that is by design. This week is the start of free agency. We're now well into the legal tampering period, and now... Uh, full free agency starting very, very soon. Before the Packers get to full free agency, they had to put a lot, out a little bit of a fire on the home front, at least Packers media did. This story coming out uh, courtesy of thepowersweep.com, but also uh, ESPN 540 in Milwaukee, where Aaron Rodgers made an appearance speaking with Jason Wildey today. Uh, he seemed to imply that Mike Glennon's expected new contract, which could pay around $15 million per year, could and maybe should lead to a reevaluation of his own deal. I think it has to, Rogers told Wildey. That sparked, understandably, a, a bit of a kerfuffle among Packers media, uh, some saying that Rogers was asking for a new contract. Rogers later uh, corrected pro football talk and said, no, I wasn't. He was just comparing contracts between players that play the same position, himself and Mike Glennon. To me, it seemed like Rogers was trying to walk back a bit of a small media explosion over his remarks, which is, is understandable. Rogers goes out of his way to stay pretty even keel in public, and it's possible he was just weighing in on rumors over Glennon's contract. But Gary, I think we agree that Aaron Rodgers is underpaid, at least compared to some of the other top flight quarterbacks around the league and where their contracts stand. But do you think there's any actual chance that something happens with Rodgers redoing his deal? I think it makes sense to give Rodgers an extension in the next 12 months. I I don't think it's going to happen in the short term because the front office's attention is elsewhere. You're not going to stop doing free agency. You're not going to stop preparing for the draft to take care of a quarterback that's under contract for another two seasons. Uh, So from a timing perspective, you think about when is this deal going to happen? If you look at Rodgers' contemporaries, about half of the what you would call elite quarterbacks, and that includes Joe Flacco, those deals were signed in either June or July. It makes sense for that to happen at that time. There's not a lot going on. It's right before training camp. And the contract for your quarterback is the most important contract for your team, so it gives you a lot of uh, of leeway to make that happen. I think, though, whatever this next contract is for Rodgers, it is going to be his last window to really take the Packers to the bank. There's a bit of a precedent with Tom Brady and to some degree Peyton Manning when he went to Denver that elite quarterbacks near the end of their careers need to give up some of their salary to allow their teams more flexibility and free agency. And I I think with Rodgers at 20, at 32, 33 years old, he's, he's probably got one more big contract in him before he'd have to uh, take some pay cuts, at least in, in, in what the market has said. I do agree with you there. I think Rodgers is going to get a new deal. It's not going to happen now. When he does, it's going to be expensive and well-earned. And I think you, you hit it right on his head. This is probably his last chance to get one of those big deals. 
but it's not going to happen in the near future. Something that could happen in the near future, though, is Devon House returning to the Green Bay Packers. He signed a four-year, $25 million contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars prior to the 2015 season. That has not lasted four years. Uh, His first season in Jacksonville was all right. Started slow, but ended up with four picks to lead the team. Third in the NFL with 23 pass breakups. Second season in Jacksonville last year, the Jags brought in Prince Amukamara and Jalen Ramsey. House was not great and was essentially benched after the first four games of the year. But now it sounds like he could be headed back towards Green Bay. At least that conversation appears to be happening between House and the Packers. Gary, do you think it makes sense to bring him back? I'm a bit of a Devon House truther in the sense that it, it, it seems like the the uh, feeling around Packer fans is that House is no, not welcome in the Packers' house. And I tend to be of the persuasion that it does make sense for the Packers to bring him back. When he was healthy during his time in Green Bay, he was the third or fourth cornerback on the depth chart and really excelled in special teams. If you remember in 2012, his second season, he blocked a punt uh, against the Jaguars of all teams. Uh, and and that's okay. If, if House comes back and he plays third or fourth cornerback, uh, that really would have helped the Packers last year. And the, the fit feels really good. It reminds me of James Jones when he returned two years ago. You know, House got the opportunity in Jacksonville to, to, to see if his skills, you know, matched up with top flight cornerbacks. It didn't. But the Packers will bring him back, hopefully. And uh, they know who he is and how to use him. And I think with the news breaking that Micah Hyde might be out of Green Bay, it makes even more sense to bring Devon House back. I think you're right on there. I mean, the the reality is that you need four or five corners on your team. Right now, the Packers have Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, and Ladarius Gunter, and a bunch of undrafted guys, most of whom finished the season on injured reserve with a variety of knee injuries. I mean, if that doesn't inspire confidence, I don't know what does. We know House is a limited player, but you need backups, and House would be a solid backup. He's athletic. He's big. You can find a way to use some someone like that, if only on special teams. Uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, our final headline here, Latroy Guyon to be suspended for the first four games of the 2017 season. Per Rob Domovsky of ESPN, this suspension is not marijuana or recreational drug related. This is for violating the league's policy on performance enhancing drug. This is the second suspension in four years. With the Packers, uh, he was suspended for three games for violating the substance abuse policy for the start of the 2015 season. Now, cutting Guyon would save $3.3 million against the 2017 cap or thereabouts. He was due just $800,000 in roster bonuses between now and May, but the two sides have apparently agreed to delay that bonus until after that suspension has been served, if in fact he stays around that long. The Packers already have Mike Daniels, Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark, Brian Price, and Christian Ringo under contract along the defensive line. So Gary, my question to you, is Latroy Guyon going to be suiting up for the Packers at any point during 2017? I don't think so. The defensive line is one of the hardest positions for me as a football fan to understand if a player is good or not specifically defensive tackle a position that guy on plays you know so much is said uh and if you if you read the the beat writers and and those that 
uh, that that you know really watch and study the film, they'll say Guyon was a good run defender last year, but he took a significant step backwards in rushing the passer. And the numbers prove it. In 2015, Guyon had 16 pressures on the quarterback, and he only had one in 2016 and about the same number of snaps. By all accounts, he was an average defensive tackle this year. He finished about in the middle of the pack, according to Pro Football Focus's grading system. Uh, you know, moving the roster bonuses, in the words of Colin Coward, you got to follow the money. And that's, uh, that, that's an interesting indication to me. It does give the Packers the flexibility to bring Guyon back uh, to camp and to have that insurance policy if there are injuries on the defensive line. But if I had to guess, it's, it's hard to see him back on the roster next year. Well, if I, if, I'll put it to you this way, Gary. If, if your boss said, you know, Gary, we've got some questions lately about your performance. So what we're going to do is we're going to just hang on to your paychecks for a couple of weeks and see what happens. Uh, why don't we just see how this works out? Would you feel super confident about your employment? I wouldn't feel super confident. <laughs> I would not. I, no. I, I would think Latroy Guyon has to be thinking, huh, this did not go how, how this was planned to go. You know, if Mike Pinnell was still around uh, and he hadn't had the season that he had last year, I would say Guyon would be 100% gone because that would be about all the depth you need along the defensive line. Since Pinnell is not around anymore, I think it's more something like 85 to 90% that Guyon is gone. Like you said, there is the chance of him sticking around as the sort of insurance policy but I don't think the Packers feel obligated to keep him. And unless he shows something special here over the next couple months, if he lasts that long, I don't think the Packers want to keep him around. Hey, one last thing we should talk about on the on the defensive line, defensive front seven sort of thing. Uh, Julius Peppers says he wants to play in 2017. There's been no indication about where he stands with the Packers if they'd want to have him back. But what do you put the odds uh, of Julius Peppers returning to the Packers in 2017, just off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I, I think it's probably about 50%. I, I think that you know it makes sense for him to go back to Carolina for one more year. Uh, you always wonder about New England. Chris Long isn't coming back at... Uh, uh, there, there's a spot for some veteran presence. Uh, I, I think it's about 50%, though. The Packers did meet with his agent at the Combine, which could be something, could be nothing, but I'll say 50%. I'm right with you at 50-50. It seems like if they could find a good role for him, one where he doesn't have to be an every-down player and they think they can get consistent effort out of him, which you know has, has been a problem at times, uh, he, he would be welcome back, but well, and he's also got to want to be able to, he's going to have to be okay with not being an every down player. Right. And he seems to have been mostly all right with that, but he's also a guy who, who knows how to play the, the, I don't want to say office politics, but he knows how to, to put on the right sort of image or, or say the right things, I guess is what I'm looking for. You he's don't get to 37 be... in the NFL and, and, and not, not be able to play that game, I guess. Right. And, and he does it very well. You know, he's never a guy who says a lot. And when he does say things, it's very measured. And he's, he's done a good job of, of not rocking the boat in the locker room. And if he was upset about playing the, the amount of snaps he did in 2016, he surely didn't let on, but I can't imagine he'll play him anymore. And if he's not okay with that, we'll find out very soon. Uh, if he wants to continue playing that sort of role, because that's what it would have to be with the Packers, you think. So, Gary, we've got a great newsletter that's going out to the, the fine folks who subscribe to things at thepowersweep.com. How might someone go around doing that? 
<laughs> it's, it's quite easy. If you go to www.thepowersweep.com, on the right-hand side, there is a form to submit your email, and you'll get a, a little email the day after our podcast launches. And that's a great way to, if, if you aren't checking the Power Sweep daily like John and I do, uh, it's a great way to see what we've posted during the week. We'll, we'll let you know the podcast is up. We'll give you a little teaser of what we talk about. And we'll let you know the best posts from the week. So uh, if you've been listening to our podcast, would encourage you to head on over to thepowersweep.com. And on the right-hand side, enter your email address, click sign up. It's free. It comes out the morning our podcast launches and it's a great way to support uh, our mission of helping everyone become smarter packer fans and we think smarter packer fans are better packer fans as we and as we try to navigate free agency it's always better to be just a little bit smarter don't want to overreact all right we're going to take a step away from talking about free agency and all the current happenings with the packers to continue our look back at the 2016 season here we go blue 58 so why would someone want to look back at a season that already happened, particularly one that didn't end all that long ago? Well, Gary, I can think of two quick reasons that we'd want to do something like this. Like you mentioned in our wonderful tease for our newsletter, our mission is to become smarter fans of the Packers. The Packers play 16 games a year in the regular season, assuming they don't go to the playoffs. And it's, it's sometimes hard to add context and really understand what uh, a particular season is about. Uh, things go by so fast it's hard to keep track of everything and sometimes you lose some of those finer points uh, the other point that we want to to bring up when we're talking about these these games that have already gone by when we're mid in the middle of the the series where we're taking a look over a few weeks at a time sometimes that helps us tease out that essential story of the season i'm a big believer that every season has kind of the the main story and sometimes it's it's hard to to track down exactly what that is when you're trying to look at an entire season all at once. So going game by game really helps us dive into the little nuances that add up to that sort of larger story. So we've gone through the first three quarters of the regular season, and now I guess this is really where the fun begins. We're in games 13 through 16 when the table finally gets run. And game 13, we're at Lambeau Field, and who is coming? But the Seattle Seahawks, I Gary, think John, take it away. I think, John, that uh, I can speak for both of us that Seattle for the last handful of years has been the team that uh, we most desire to see the Packers defeat. Uh, is that fair? I, I think that's very fair. Other than the Minnesota Vikings, I they can think of no one I would rather beat than the Seahawks. I, I'd actually pick Seattle over Minnesota. We've had so many wins against Minnesota. I'll t I, we just we've been one and three in the last four games before this one against the Seahawks. But it, it, you know, to to focus on this game, this is the thirteenth game of the season, and it's at this point, it's it's nice to think that your team can run the table. But the Eagles and Texans uh, are both on three game losing streaks, and and two wins against those aren't, aren't really a convincing start. A win against the Seahawks, however, is pretty convincing proof that Green Bay can win out and morph into the playoff team that no one wants to face. Uh, as I mentioned, the Packers are 1-3 and three in their last four games against the Seahawks. But the arrow's pointing up. The Packers have played really solid defense in their last two matchups. A win at Lambeau last year and a game that we won't dwell on in, in, in early 2015 in the NFC Championship game. The Seahawks are 7-3-1 entering this game, but it's not as rosy as the record may indicate. 
they haven't scored a touchdown three times this season, including just two weeks ago when they lost 14-5. to Now, that's a scoregami if I've ever seen one, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, against Carolina last week, their star safety, Earl Thomas, breaks his leg, and he's out for the rest of the season. So in the midst of that, kickoff happens. And after weeks of starting pretty slowly, this was the exact opposite. The Packers received to start the game, and on the third offensive play, Aaron Rodgers finds Devontae Adams for a 66-yard touchdown, and the Packers really never looked back. They managed to finally start forcing some turnovers on defense, and they came in bunches. The Packers secondary picked off Russell Wilson five times, including one really amazing play by Demarius Randall, where he kind of came out of nowhere and pulled off an interception, and two extremely fluky ones that involved weird bounces off Seattle receivers. One of them actually ended up kind of bouncing off the nameplate of one of the Seattle receivers and falling right into Quentin Rollins' hands. Counting playoffs, Russell Wilson has three career games with three or more interceptions, and two of them are against the Packers. They picked him off four times in the 2014 NFC Championship game, including one where Morgan Burnett decided to slide. But that was not this game. Aaron Rodgers in this one finally made his move from the slightly above average, if a little inconsistent, Aaron Rodgers to Holy crap, it's Aaron Rodgers. He threw for 246 yards and three touchdowns on 23 attempts. He gets a well-deserved rest for much of the fourth quarter. And in that fourth quarter, some icing on the cake. Jeff Janis scores on a 19-yard end-around, closing out the scoring. The Packers cruise to a 38-10 victory. Packers have now won three in a row. That's about half of the six they will need to finish the season as NFC North champs. Gary, at this point, are you like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix? Are you starting to believe? I'm more like Keanu Reeves and John Wick. I'm just ready to mow everybody down. The Seahawks win solidifies in my mind that there's a real path to win the NFC North. Because the first two wins of this streak were against weaker teams, it's really encouraging at this point in the season to see the Packers go out and win as convincingly as they did against the Seahawks. And the turnovers were quite a welcome sight. I'll never pass up seeing Russell Wilson throw five interceptions, but at this point in the season, the Packers had actually turned the ball over more than they had forced turnovers. And considering how rarely Rodgers throws interceptions, it's hard to believe that could even be possible late in the season. Now, because they had beaten a thoroughly quality opponent, they're facing divisional opponents the rest of the way. I'm all in at this point on the Packers' ability to run the table. Well, if the Packers are off and running, it seems like the Chicago Bears shouldn't be much of an obstacle. In Game 14, we're playing at Soldier Field on what turns out to be a very frigid day. The Packers find themselves above 500 for the first time in what seems like about a year. The Bears, on the other hand, having a pretty terrible season are and are long dead as far as contending for the playoffs goes. They should be a pretty easy opponent for the Packers. This one should be a walk, shouldn't it? Well, you'd think so, especially with Jay Cutler out. Uh, for as many warts as he has as a player, he can be very dangerous too. The Bears have turned things over to Matt Barkley and have given up on Cutler for good, partly to the chagrin of the Packers. I've heard people on Twitter describe Jay Cutler as the fourth best quarterback in Packers history. <laughs> on defense, the Bears are in rough shape. 
They're a bunch of nobodies at this point in the season. Their free agent signings have not really panned out, and their excellent young corner, Kyle Fuller, has been on injured reserve since the preseason. Things are going well for Chicago. Beyond that, nobody on the team is really worth being concerned about, so you'd think Aaron Rodgers should be able to continue his hot streak. One concern. Nick Perry still out battling his broken hand. If his cast on that hand was shrinking week by week, it was probably about the size of uh, one of those bags that you would carry a bowling ball around in at this point. But considering that we're playing the Bears, that shouldn't be much of an issue. How do you see things playing out, Gary? Well, for most of the game, uh, the running game was the story. The Packers averaged 9.8 yards per carry, and Ty Montgomery emerged as a threat at running back. He had he ran for a career high 162 yards on only 16 carries. And after forcing only one turnover between the Cowboys' loss in October and the Texans' win in December, following the five-interception performance by Russell Wilson, the Packers forced another five turnovers against the Bears, and now they've forced 10 turnovers in two weeks. It's great. The Packers have started to be a capitalizing Dom Capers defense like we always expected them to be. And that's helped in large part by three straight Bears turnovers, including back-to-back interceptions from all-pro safety HaHa Clinton Dix. It helps the Packers turn a 10-10 halftime tie into a 27-10 Packers lead. Things are feeling pretty comfortable, but John Fox's team refuses to go away. The Bears score two touchdown drives of over 70 yards, and they're just down by three points with seven minutes left. The Packers are unable to put the nail in the coffin or the dagger, as Mr. Wayne Larravee likes to say, and the Bears drive the length of the field. And if it's not for an amazing defensive play by Micah Hyde, uh, they're probably going going, uh, to take a 31-27 lead. Hyde makes a great play. They settle for a field goal, and the game is tied 27-27. to Now the Packers have the ball, and it's third down with under a minute left. They're on their own side of the field, and Rodgers makes one of the best plays of his career, finding Jordy Nelson for 60 yards to put the Packers square in field goal position. They run down, spike the ball, and Mason Crosby sends a 32-yard field goal through the uprights as time expires to stop a furious Bears comeback and put the Packers in the driver's seat for an NFC North title. After that statement win against Seattle, John, the Packers just couldn't quite put the Bears away. Does that mean anything at this point in the season as they head into this home stretch? I don't think so. I'm a pretty big believer in what's often referred to as the trap game. That is the game that you should probably win easily, but you just can't put away for whatever reason or even come out losing because you might just be looking past your opponent for whatever reason. You don't think they're any good. They may not actually be any good. Whatever reason, you look past them and they end up biting you. It's like falling into a trap. I think even if Bears fans took a pretty honest look at the Packers' last three games of the 2016 season, they'd agree of those three opponents, the Packers, or the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions, in order. The Bears were the least threatening. I don't think that's a slight against the Bears. It's just a reality. They were not a good team last year. The Packers seem to have agreed with that assessment because they looked pretty listless against Chicago, but sometimes... It takes surviving that trap game to get your head right, and the Packers seem to have put this one behind them pretty quickly. 
Yeah, they, they sure did, John, because now they're playing on Christmas Eve against our favorite rival, the Minnesota Vikings. It's great to be able to talk about two victories against the top two teams that John and I uh, both probably have the least level of enjoyment um, about. Uh, both of us having gone to college in Minnesota and and watching uh, the, the Seahawks steal two really important games from the Packers. But we're on to Minnesota. It's Christmas Eve and there's only coal under the Vikings tree. The Vikings started the season 5-0. and and the Indianapolis Colts are coming off of a rout against the Vikings that moved Minnesota to a 7-7 seven and seven record. So what happened? Well, the injuries finally caught up. Sam Bradford has filled in really capably for Teddy Bridgewater, but Adrian Peterson has missed 11 games. He comes back in the previous week against the Colts, but is inactive for this game against the Packers. And the Vikings' offensive and defensive lines are losing starters left and right. Star safety Harrison Smith is nursing an ankle injury. It's even gotten bad enough that their offensive coordinator, Norv Turner, quits on the team after seven games. Now, to make matters worse, uh, it, it, didn't, it was a, a bumpy landing for Minnesota as they skidded off the runway while taxiing to the gate uh, and landing at the Appleton International Airport. It took about four hours to rescue the team from the plane. Well... How'd this go after they got off the plane? Well, Gary, a, a, a film question for you. Are you familiar with the popular 2012 action movie, The Avengers? Oh, I'm just a, a white dude who loves going to the movies. So unfortunately, I probably saw it in theaters like three times. Well, do you know that scene in The Avengers when Loki makes the mistake of confronting the Hulk and it goes very badly for him? That's what this game felt like to me. The bad, the Vikings were just in rough shape, but they came into Lambeau, felt like they could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Aaron Rodgers, and they just could not. If you remember, this was the Vikings' supposed mutiny game in which they went kind of off script playing against Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson in the first half. The extent to which they did that, still kind of a mystery and I'm not sure we'll ever completely get to the bottom of it but they thought they knew better than their defensive coach at least a little bit it did not work out well for them it took Aaron Rodgers one drive to warm up and then he was off like a rocket the Packers scored on three of their first five possessions in this game including two nifty touchdown passes from Aaron Rodgers to Jordy Nelson and an awesome scramble by Rodgers in which he juked a Vikings defender right out of his cleats before falling into the end zone. The Packers went up 28-13 to at the half. The rest, just academic. Minnesota scored twice to make the final deceptively close, but don't be fooled. This was a beatdown. Now, at this moment, was there any doubt in your mind that the Packers are going to beat the Lions and head to the playoffs? It's really hard looking back to say that there was doubt in my mind, but, but there was. The Packers are 3-3, three and three before this season finale in their last six games against the, the Lions. But two of those wins for the Packers, almost, he could have argued, shouldn't happen. Uh, there's the Richard Rodgers Hail Mary, and then earlier in the season, they really let Detroit back into that game, and, and they had a real chance to, to, to win that uh, from under the Packers' nose. Detroit's a tough matchup for the Packers, and, and, and I think there's two reasons why at this point. The first, they're, they're really hard to put away. They've won eight games this season when they've trailed in the fourth quarter. 
Second, you wonder if there's more on the line for them than there is for the Packers. The Packers are trying to run the table, but there's a chance both teams could have clinched a playoff spot when this game kicks off on Sunday night. And are the Packers just going to run out of gas against a Lions team hungry for a division championship? Well, let's find out. Here we are, headed into Week 17, the final game of the season. It all comes down to this. It's win or go home. It's for all the marbles. Winner take all. Two teams enter, one team leaves. Other cliches. Well, like you mentioned, Gary, that's actually not entirely true. Since Washington lost earlier in the day uh, when these two, two teams were about to play, both teams could actually make the playoffs. This is really just a matter of seeding and who ultimately wins the NFC North championship. And if you become that NFC North champ, you both go out on a win and get the opportunity to host a playoff game. Both two pretty important things. Detroit's had an extremely frustrating second half of the season, which is something you can say almost every year. After beating Minnesota in Week 9 to head into their bye week at 5-4, and four, Detroit got pretty hot and won four in a row. It looked like they were just going to run away with the NFC North because the Packers were still in the depths of whatever they were in, and Minnesota was falling apart week by week. But Detroit lost their next two games, and coming into Week 17, they were on a bit of a slide. Speaking of sliding, Matthew Stafford uh, was on a bit of a slide, but mostly it was not his fault. Uh, he started the season pretty hot, but he had cooled off by this point, and he was dealing with some injury trouble. Uh, he almost single-handedly kept the Lions in the first game the Packers played, but this one, it was going to be a little bit more difficult for him to do that because he was dealing with the remnants of a dislocated finger uh, on his throwing hand. He had to wear a special glove to protect that hand as a result. The NFL flexed this game to primetime, making it the final game of the regular season, or as they called it, Game 256. And Game 256 it was. After last season where the Packers and the Vikings played in Game 256 and it did not go Green Bay's way, it felt a little more of the same when this one got underway. The Lions played extremely well in the first half in front of, by all accounts, a raucous Ford Field crowd. Their first touchdown came on an 11-play, 80-yard drive uh, that included a 3rd and 15 conversion on a 35-yard catch by T.J. Jones. Uh, you had Al Michaels saying, Zach Zimmer, all over. That's probably my most uh, memorable moment from this game. But uh, the Lions later in the second quarter on a two-minute drive, Stafford goes back to pass and, and loses number 52, Clay Matthews, and essentially throws him an interception. And Matthews lets it go right through his hands. It would have been a pick six. Matthews drops it. And the Lions storm down the field. Golden Tate catches a touchdown. And Detroit heads in to halftime with a 14-10 lead. Now, it was a forgettable game for Ty Montgomery. He carried the ball once for four yards in the first half, and that's it. It seemed that uh, Mike McCarthy and his offensive staff benched Montgomery after dropping a screen pass from Rodgers in the second second series of the game. Well, it also was a, a bit of a blow for the defensive side, too. Cornerback uh, Quentin Rollins, struggling through a hard season, suffers a pretty serious injury in the third quarter. 
He's covering Marvin Jones and on a long sideline throw, Rollins trips and falls and he's motionless on the turf. He's carted off the field with a neck injury and stays overnight in the hospital. At this point, Ladarius Gunter and Josh Hawkins are the team's only remaining healthy cornerbacks. And this team wins the NFC North. What does that say about the NFC North? In Detroit's previous six home games, all victories, they trailed in the fourth quarter. Well, wouldn't you know it, the Packers began the fourth quarter up 17-14. to As we talked about earlier, the, the Lions have eight fourth quarter comeback victories, and it seems like the Lions have the Packers right where we want them. Well, our, our number 12, Aaron Rodgers, throws four touchdown passes in this game, and he finds Geronimo Allison on what can only be considered a, a highlight play scramble drill touchdown and another touchdown to Devontae Adams to put this one out of reach for the Lions. So after starting four and six, the Packers had run the table and had won six straight games to win the NFC North. Now, John, Aaron Rodgers garnered a lot of buzz to be the MVP of the NFL after this game. It's prime time. He throws four touchdowns, finishes the league, finishes the season with the most touchdown passes in the league, and he's in the longest stretch of passes without an interception in his career. Now, we come to find out during the Super Bowl that uh, Atlanta's Matt Ryan named MVP, and it wasn't particularly close. John, I know you're not a fan of the MVP, but do you think Rodgers deserved it over Matt Ryan? Well, not only am I not a fan of the MVP, I think it's an extremely stupid award. And I've said that multiple times on multiple platforms. Value is just such a, a nebulous concept. And if you're really being honest about who the most valuable player is in the NFL, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady every single year. They're the best players at the most important position. They are the most valuable. You can't argue with that. I can't say that the award definitively should have gone to Rodgers or even Brady over Ryan last year because Ryan had a really good season. And we shouldn't take anything away from Matt Ryan, though. I can say with a pretty high degree of confidence, though, that if you'd put Rodgers on the Falcons and Ryan on the Packers, the Packers would have missed the playoffs and Tom Brady wouldn't have been able to lead that comeback because it would have been really hard to come back from a 60-point deficit in the Super Bowl. That's what Rodgers would have put on the Patriots if he could throw to Julio Jones and be in charge of the offense that Matt Ryan has. Wow, John, so, you really you really don't think that Matt Ryan on the Packers would have would have made the playoffs? No, I don't think so. Uh, not if he had to go through everything that, that Rodgers and the Packers went through this year. I don't think Ryan makes your team as much better as as Rodgers does. Wow. I think if I think if you switched Rodgers and Ryan when Ryan, when the Packers were whatever they were, 4 and 6 and they needed 6 in a row, you could have kissed it goodbye for Ryan. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think Ryan wins 6 in a row, but I but I also would argue that I I don't think Ryan gets that team to 4 and 6. Sure, the Packers had their defensive struggles, but there were a number of games in the beginning of that 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 stretch that uh, Rodgers kind of dropped the ball a little bit. Um, they, there were, but I'm not sure there's any one that Matt Ryan would have done that much better. I think uh, an example of that is is the Dallas game. Like Aaron Rodgers didn't play well in that game, but it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, if, if Matt Ryan is playing his MVP best, I, I still right. don't think they beat Dallas. Right. Yeah, fair fair comment. I I that caught me off guard. I really didn't. I, I think Matt Ryan probably could win ten games in a with with an average Packers defense. But 
Um, I do agree that that Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones uh, would 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 be the equivalent of the Golden State Warriors of the NFL. Hey, Gary, you like a good fullback, right? Yeah, I, I can go for it from now and again. Well, while I've got you here, I want to call to your mind the 2009 Packers season in which the Packers carried three fullbacks on their roster for some reason. Those three fullbacks were John Kuhn in his third season with the Packers, 2007 draft pick Corey Hall, and 2009 draft pick Quinn Johnson. I can't exactly say why they decided to go with the three fullbacks, but they had them all active at a couple points during the season, and they liked the three fullback arrangement so much that all three returned for the 2010 season. I think my conclusion is the Packers need to sign at least one more fullback, and maybe then they will head back to the Super Bowl. I think that's the only logical conclusion. Well, they'll be uh, they'll be betting against uh, John Lynch in San Francisco. Lynch gave a fullback five million dollars this week the, today. What a world we live in, Gary! What a world. Say, I think that's about the show for this week. Where can people find us? Well, you can find us on the website where thepowersweep.com. And that is on the World Wide Web, just to clarify. Uh, if you are a social media user, you can find us on either Facebook or Twitter. We are at the Power Sweep in both locations. Send us a good old-fashioned electronic email. We love to hear from you guys. Uh, we are thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Uh, this community is, is, a, is a really great reason why John and I love working on the Power Sweep in, in Blue 58. And all of your feedback and your comments and your encouragement helps John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packer fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. We will see you back here next week. For Gary Zillaby, I am John Meerdink. Thank you for listening. I really don't mind what happens now and then. As long as